And now, two pigeons bemoaning the fact you can stream DirecTV satellite-free. You see this? A family watching baseball on DirecTV with no satellite dish in sight. Let's heckle them. You call that changing the channel? Choke up on the remote, buddy. I hope getting all these games on DirecTV makes up for your mother not pre-chewing your sunflower seeds. DirecTV has the most MLB games. Visit DirecTV.com. Claim based on total games offered on national and regional sports networks with choice package or higher. Availability of RSNs varies by zip code and package. High-speed internet service required. Terms and restrictions apply. Welcome to Spin Rate presented by Tops. Check out Tops Project 70, celebrating 70 years of Tops baseball cards. This is Spin Rate, the Athletics Blue Jays podcast, and my name is Drew Fairservice. And yes, we are here talking about your. Never a dull moment, Toronto Blue Jays. What a way here to end the weekend with a very interesting doubleheader in Cleveland. And there's no better person to talk to about the state of the Blue Jays now and into the future. She is a co-host of Spin Rate. You read her every day on The Athletic, Caitlin McGrath. Caitlin, how are you? I'm good. I am... uh... All double-headered out. It's a long week of double-headers. It had, uh, this weekend had the chance of being like, this is the model for the Blue Jays. The Blue Jays only need to play seven inning games ever. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then they'll be great. They were cruising. It looked like they were well on their way to a uh, relatively easy double-header sweep and a full three-game series sweep at the hands, or sweeping the dreaded uh, Cleveland ball club. But unfortunately, it did not come to pass. So I think we cannot start this show without delving in as deeply as we can into what the hell happened. Obviously, quite a few things happened in this game. Gave the game two of the doubleheader. The first thing that happened was Tyler Chatwood lost the strike zone. Mm -hmm. And not for the first time. But that's not... I don't think that's the thing that people are going to remember most about this game. But number one, Tyler Chatwood having another kind of rough outing and, and not really being able to find the strike zone, a little troubling. I don't know. What do you think? Is is I mean, troubling, he's been great. He's a guy that has had command issues in the past, but maybe still too early to like worry, worry, right? Yeah, I mean, if you talk about relievers and you look at the full kind of like package, most relievers are going to have a handful of outings every now and then where they don't go well. Like it's not time to panic if one reliever has one bad outing. There's been a couple of them in a row for Tyler Chatwood. I think the walks have been an issue that have been creeping into his game a little bit um, these last couple of um, times out. You know, the one thing I would say is kind of concerning about this one in particular was that – the previous outings, I think you could argue that he was pitching a lot and maybe he was tired, but <clears throat> coming into this game, the bullpen has not been used very much. Um, they were, as we said, they've been playing a lot of seven inning games and they've been playing some rather smooth seven inning games. Their starters have been pretty effective. Um, mm-hmm. Their starters have been um, going fairly deep into games. And when you go deep into a seven inning game, it really means you only have to cover like one inning or two. And so I think with today's outing, a little bit concerning that he would have been well rested and he's not finding the strike zone. And mm-hmm. um, some of them were like close misses, but there was other times where he was just completely not close. So well, that's something to be mindful of for sure. Something to be mindful of. And the thing with a guy like Tyler Chatwood is a, he's pitched so well for you at the beginning of the year. He definitely moved up the ladder in terms of, of leverage. So maybe now it's like, okay, now you move him down the ladder. Maybe mm-hmm. you give him time and opportunity um, in lower leverage situations to try to figure his way out of it. Work, let him work with, with Matt Bushman, with Pete Walker, whoever, and uh, see if he can find his way. It's not like cut Matt, Matt or Tyler Chatwood. It's not that he's yeah. a bum and he's, he's done forever. It's just that, okay, now it's time for an adjustment. Mm-hmm. But that adjustment um, to, in the second game, on Sunday didn't come until far too late. And I think this is something that we are due to do to talk about, which is what on earth was Charlie Montoya doing in the seventh inning 
of game two of the doubleheader. I don't think anyone, I don't begrudge him for leaving Tyler Chatwood, letting Tyler Chatwood come back out and try to finish the game. Mm-hmm. But this was a guy that you've seen struggle a little bit with his command of late. And to not have anybody warming up, like what is even going on there? What was the thought process? I don't know if you spoke to him on the post-game Zoom or if he was, this was addressed. But to me, that's just like a huge miss, like an enormous, obvious, red flashing light. Have somebody ready to go. You've got C.J. Edwards, Carl Edwards Jr., who you just, come, just brought up. You probably want to get him in a game. Just get him ready. But no. And, then, and so then Anthony Castro can't come in until it's too late. So... I don't know. Is is there any rationale behind this decision? Well, I mean, after the game, Charlie talked to us and the rationale was essentially like, we need Chatwood to be a guy for us. Like we need him to have figured it out. And um, it wasn't really much of a justification for, as you say, not getting Castro up earlier, because even if you I understand Charlie saying like they want to make um, or let Chatwood know that he's got the inning and he's got their trust. And yeah, you're going to, we're going to give you every opportunity here to get out of it. But the issue was that once he had, I guess he had loaded the bases, he, it was four straight walks. And I, I don't precisely remember when, Ch- or when Castro got up, but it was when it was too late. I think the walk had already, the, the tying, um, run had already come in and the winning run had maybe already come in as well. And then Castro was up and it just was a tough situation. I guess it wasn't the winning run because Castro, um, you know, the, the sacrifice fly or whatever that came in was the winning run, but it was too late in the sense that I guess, um, it was, it was too late. There's no yeah. <laughs> other explanation. It was too late because it took Anthony Castro two batters to warm up because they should, the, the TV broadcast caught him running, running from his seat in the bullpen to start to throw, running, because he, it was like, oh, shit, we need to get warm, which is too late, such that when he came into the game, it was to face the only good hitter that the Cleveland lineup has. The Cle- Cleveland is terrible. They are fucking awful. I was watching them, and I was like, how is this team five games over 500? They scored four runs in the inning, uh, the, 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 the previous inning, off of an error and a misplay and an infield single and then like a seeing eye single. They, like That is not a good baseball team. They kick it around. They have two good pitchers and two good relievers and one good position player. And you, the, you bring the, when that good, the only good hitter in their lineup is in the on-deck circle and now you've got your guy ready to come in when the game is already lost. There's one out and the bases are loaded and it's a tie game in the bottom of the ninth inning. Like, that's a that's awful. That is an awful example of mismanagement. He just mismanaged the last two innings of the game. And you want Tyler Chatwood to be the guy and I, I'm, I agree. Uh, you want Tyler Chatwood, you want to tell him, like, you're going to get paid, you're going to get paid a lot of money if you continue to pitch well for us, and we're going to win a lot of ball games. You're important to our team. That doesn't mean you can't have somebody throwing 350 feet away. And if he thinks, because if Tyler Chatwood was mad because he got pulled early uh, the previous time, the previous meltdown when when Tom uh, uh, Taris Bergen came in and couldn't find the strike zone, I get that. But you are playing to win these baseball games. Right, yeah. there, are tw- there are 26 or 27 guys in, in that clubhouse, and you're trying to win for all of them. And to have not, I mean, just uh, dereliction of duty, frankly. Like, he just, he screwed up. And, and that's a terrible excuse. I don't know. It's, it sucks. It's all, I understand why people are mad. And it's not a personal thing. It's just like, that was dumb. You did a dumb thing, and now the team lost. Not that if Anthony Castro comes in two batters earlier, maybe the outcome is no different. But, man, it was rough. Yeah, so I think the thing is that for me, it's like, why? What is the harm in getting Castro up, right? Because like, there's no harm in it, right? Like, you either you are prepared, like you're just prepared. You're prepared for either scenario, and getting Castro up doesn't need to suggest to Chatwood that they don't have faith in him. He doesn't even really need to 
he's probably not even paying attention to like what's going on in the bullpen. He's focusing on the mound or what's, you know, what he's doing on the mound and focusing on who's at the plate. And so that is for me, what I have a hard time wrapping my head around as a, somebody who likes to prepare for scenarios and to never be caught in a scenario where I don't have a plan. Like that to me was what was jarring is, and I, you know, I don't think you can, you can, of course, argue with some of Charlie's um, bullpen decisions as you can argue with every manager's bullpen decisions. And God knows that Jay's Twitter is arguing with a lot of Charlie Montoyo's uh, bullpen decisions. I I understand that. Um, And I think that some points that people make are fair, points are unfair. And I think you've made this point before is like, at the end of the day, sometimes it doesn't matter that much or whatever you want to quibble with different things. But I think this one, it was just, it, it looked like they were, were caught like flat footed. Like it just didn't look like they were right, really prepared. And I think with Chatwood, for example, like you're saying, he should be the guy. They should want him to be the guy and having him start the inning was fine and letting him go fairly far is fine too. Because again, like, um, you want to, you know, show him that you do have some trust in him, but it, uh, it got to a point where even he would probably have had to admit that he couldn't find the strike zone. Um, and I want to say that although it's a week ago and it's hard to remember, but I feel like he was missing the zone more this time than he was last time. Um, I felt like he was further from the strike zone. I felt like last time it was a little bit closer, like he was just on the edges and he wasn't getting some calls and he was just just missing. This time it really was looking like he was just struggling to find the zone. I think the the sort of ratio of pitches, it was like something like, you know, seven strikes and 25 balls or something like that. Mm-hmm. And so it was it was pretty apparent that he wasn't able to find the zone. And so you obviously, it's a tough spot for a pitcher. It's a tough spot for him because he did start out the year so well. And maybe when we get to a point in September and everything's fine and you look back and it just really was a weird blip that he went through. Like he just, you know, found he, next time he goes out, he can find the zone fine and everything's okay. But in the moment, these types of wins, or sorry, these types of losses really hurt. And I think it's magnified right now because there has been uh, quite a few of them in recent memory. This this was very similar to what happened a week ago in terms of just the walks getting out of control. And when you walk so many guys, and that's the one thing I'll say, um, Charlie can't control Chatwood not finding the zone, you know. No, he can't. And 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 again, I'm all for if he wants to go and and, and play this. I, it's all about his confidence, and I need he's an important guy for us. And uh, lots of Blue Jays fans will, of course, remember Cito Gaston was the member, manager of the Blue Jays on two different occasions, and he had a famous line that was like, "You lose, you lo- I'll lose one now if it means I can win two later." So if it's like, okay, we'll we'll take our lumps and we'll learn from this, or we'll 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 show confidence in in Tyler Chatwin, and that means we're going to win two games later on because he won't be looking over his shoulder and he won't be melting down when he looks out to the right center field bullpen and sees that Anthony Castro is like kind of calmly or soft tossing to start the inning just in case. Uh, okay, but like you said, it's too many times, too many times these kind of things have happened, and and it's just this one just felt that much more um uh uh preventable like it 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 could have it could have been done differently and and it wasn't and again against a team a team that that is not good offensively and the blue jays of course helped them out a lot they helped cleveland out uh kicking it um uh, santiago espinal made a an error on a what appeared to be a very routine play and then you've got uh, Jonathan Davis throwing to the wrong base that allowed them to get um, an extra 90 feet that ended up coming around to score. Uh, it's just, you know, last time we talked, the sky was following, uh, wasn't following, falling quite as, uh, or the sky was falling last week too. Well, I was going on about there's not enough depth. They don't have mm-hmm. enough depth. They don't have enough good players. And then, of course, the Blue Jays go into the into New York, and they have a really good series against the Yankees. And maybe we sort of forget about that. They win against Cleveland on Friday, get rained out, come back, win the win the the, the opener of the doubleheader. But unfortunately, this not only did this the second game bring all these managerial questions, they also brought, I think, these depth questions. When you see Santiago Espinal making errors, when you see Jonathan Davis making mental errors in the outfield, 
Uh, it's like, okay, well, what is it these guys are kind of bringing at this point? These are like, they're the, def- maybe the, in there for their defense, kind of defensive stalwarts, guys that are, that are being pressed into duty because of injuries. They got to do their jobs too. You know, Tyler Chatwood, obviously you don't want to walk the ballpark. You don't want to you know, nibble away and, and just really not be able to find, uh, find your, find your release point. But, you know, those plays, if you're Santiago Espinal, defense is going to be your calling card as a big leaguer. You got to make those plays. Jonathan Davis as well. You got to be in there making, you, you, I know I get the urge to make a play, quote unquote, but you know, these, these, these errors get compounded by the fact that they're not doing really anything else, um, in the game. Yeah. And then you talk about death, depth, like not just to go back to the bullpen, but it, it is kind of concerning that it's true that if, Chatwood didn't have it. They really didn't have another high leverage guy they could use in that second game because they used Dolis and Romano in the first game. And I don't think they wanted to use them again um, as much as maybe the pitch counts weren't high in the first game. I just think given um, how thin the bullpen is, you want to be really cautious with guys' arms. I don't think they were about to go to them twice. Um, And so the bullpen depth is getting fairly thin. And if you have to now, as you suggested, which could be the case is you have to take Tyler Chatwood out of the um, high leverage situations for the time being, just as he kind of finds his footing again and, and figures out what's happening and makes that adjustment. And then who do you have? Like you have Delise and you have Romano, maybe Anthony Castro. This was sort of like, let's not judge him on this one. Cause it was really an unfair scenario to put him in. And it's like, it was Absolutely like, it was, as you, as you said, like the game was look already lost. Yes. He was on the mound when the, when the winning run scored, but um, it was just an impossible situation. So Anthony Castro could be a late inning guy option again, as he kind of works his way back from like the time that he missed. I think Tim Meza, like he's not typically high leverage, but maybe he can find his way back into that seventh, eighth inning role necessarily. Um, but with you, when you lose David Phelps, that is a huge loss. And I, I think we talked about this last week, or I don't remember when we ever found out that he was out <laughs> for the season. It's mm-hmm. all blurring, but that is a huge loss. It, to me, um, it could be one of the m- more impactful losses of the season, honestly. I, like, I know he's just a bullpen guy, and he really was just going to have like one inning. But if you have a veteran guy that you can count on, that you can put in the seventh, in the eighth inning, sometimes the ninth inning, and you just know he's going to get the job done. Um, that's key to have. And they already lost Kirby Yates. They didn't, you know, they lost the closer before their season even started. Now they've lost an, a guy who is sort of that stable, reliable veteran um, re- reliever that you can count on and they don't have that anymore. And then, you know, yes, you have Romano looking like the Romano of 2020. Again, he looks really strong. You hope that Julian Merriweather is going to come back and he's going to be strong, but I don't think, yeah, no, you can't say that he's a re- reliable reliever at this point. Cause he's has what, like seven innings pitched or something. I don't even know. Like it's four innings pitched. <laughs> so, um, and yes, and they third. were, they were great innings. Um, he was lights out for the better part of all of them, but he's not a guy that's, you know, has have enough experience. And so I worry about the depth of the bullpen and you're right depth all over, but at least the position player, they are, coming back at some point i think george springer is we're getting we're getting closer to when he returns than we are close to when he's <laughs> we're closer out. To, to his return than we are this, the distance from when he was injured perhaps yes <laughs> we'll be right back with more spin rate but first check this out looking for an assist with your credit card but can't get a hold of anyone luckily with 24 7 us-based live customer service from discover Everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day or night. Yep, you heard that right. You can talk to a real human and customer service at any time. Sounds like a real game changer if you ask us. Make the right call and get the service you deserve with Discover. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. 
Looking for an assist with your credit card but can't get a hold of anyone? Luckily, with 24-7 U.S.-based live customer service from Discover, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day or night. Yep, you heard that right. You can talk to a real human and customer service anytime. Sounds like a real game changer if you ask us. Make the right call and get the service you deserve with Discover. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. I agree that losing the two guys that you like willfully brought in to, to improve your defense, having lost both of them for the year, that's huge. Now, the the question of depth and the question of pitch counts, I think, was a was a, a point of contention and something that people were really questioning in the first game of the doubleheader when the Blue Jays took Ross Stripling out after just five innings. Mm-hmm. He only threw, I believe, 67 pitches? 67, 60, 67 pitches. And then they took him out. And they brought in Rafael Dolis, someone who has been the Blue Jays' Highest leverage pitcher, you know, in in some uh, at some point, and they brought him in to pitch the eighth, and he pitched well. Or sorry, the, not the eighth, the sixth, the the. Uh, <laughs> it would the, have uh, been the eighth in a real game. The, the, the a working real man's game. eighth inning is, the, <laughs> is, the, is that sixth. Uh, he pitched well. Is there is there smoke or and or fire like what? What was it? Was there any thought or justification given from maybe uh, manager Charlie Montoyo in terms of why they made this move? Why they used their two high, highest leverage and kind of most uh, proven guys in a game that was four um, uh, one? You know, knowing they had to play another game after the fact, it, it, was there anything about the about the game one decisions? Not entirely, because obviously sometimes with these things, when you only get the manager after the second game, the questions tend to skew to the second game. Also, when the second game is ends as this one did, a, the questions fiery send, meltdown. <laughs> the questions tend to be centered around. I mean, it, what was said was that Ross Stripling had a really good outing. Obviously, that was True. clear, and um, I think that probably the thinking was that it was coming up. Um, the top of the lineup again and maybe get him out of there while he's had the strong outing and and don't let them see him. I Would it have been the second time through, third time through? I don't remember. He was really cruising. Um, it would have been the third time through. Third and time through. So Dolis got Cesar Hernandez, Amen Rosario, uh, Jose Ramirez, and then uh, Eddie Rosario was the final mm-hmm. out of that inning. Yeah, and I mean, I guess my – and I think, like, on the broadcast or um, either the Blue Jays Central, whatever they call it, um, Joe Siddle made the point – it's probably accurate – is, like, you you want to lock down the game one win and you worry about game two later. And in a scenario where they hope that Steven Matz cruises, and he was doing that. Like, you could see how Charlie had mapped it out in the way that, like – Matt's could have honestly gone seven. He was looking like he was cruising to the point. And I think the actual broadcast, Buck and, and Dan were kind of talking about how it changed so quickly for him, where it really looked like, I don't remember what his pitch count was, but it was similar to Stripling's through five, right? It was like fairly probably in the 60s or something. Mm-hmm. And it looked like he potentially could go. And he's pitched seven innings this year. So the team could have been more willing to let him go that complete game um, today. And then it just like unraveled. And so then instead of maybe preparing to only want one inning out of Chatwood, you needed to get two out of him. And at that point, we obviously know how it went down. So mm-hmm. not, but you know, to answer your main question, like not much was said about that particular decision, but it, w- what was said on TV and what I would sort of guess is the decision making was that primarily the focus was get the first win, get the series win in the first game and then worry about game two later. Understandable, relatively understandable. I mean, I, you, again, put, get the win, bank the one win. If you, if you walk out of there with a split, you're feeling pretty good, but it doesn't feel good knowing that how close at hand the second victory was. Do we want to talk a little anything about Ross Stripling? There was a lot, to, a lot made about the mechanical changes that Ross Stripling has made. Uh, that's two straight terrific outings from him. Uh, you know, a guy whose roster spot or not roster spot, rotation spot, if nothing else, was sort of up in the air a little bit. Um, mm-hmm. But looks like he may have at least, you know, at the very least, earned himself another start um, this coming week. 
Yeah, for sure. I think so. And um, part of that is that I think there's no one necessarily knocking on the door right now. I know that Nate Pearson's down in AAA and Thomas Hatch is down in AAA right now. But I think for them, like the focus is just getting them more consistent outings down there. So yeah, you're right though. Like Stripling, not only was his rotation spot like on the line probably, but I think just his own like confidence in himself and his own like belief in what he was doing in his job was really being put to the test because he was just feeling so down and frustrated with not just like how things had been going this year, but because it dated back to last season, he was kind of going on feeling like, you know, a year and a half at this point or a season and a half at this point, things are not going well for me. And so two outings ago or whatever it was, he was really sort of like at a low point and he was kind of searching for answers and saying things like, I need to go to the drawing board. And, and he did that. And you'll notice um, the changes that he made, like they're fairly noticeable once he's pointed them out is that essentially he's keeping his hands down towards the sides of his um, body, like Mm -hmm. keeping his hands down by the belt, right? Because before in his delivery, it was such that he would sort of like move his arm, move his hands up and down. So he'd like, you know, as he's getting set, he'd like lift his hands up sometimes like right by his head. Sometimes he'd lift his hands like chest level. And so the problem basically was that there was a few things going on was that one, he believed he was tipping his pitches. Um, And he was like, and he said basically like he for sure thinks he was tipping his pitches, but he also said that like his, timing and like where he would lift his hands was also like so inconsistent that like he might not have been tipping the same type of things every time like he wasn't completely confident saying like every time I threw my curveball I went to my head but he's like uh, it happened enough that they probably were able to decipher something and and when you're playing mm-hmm. a team like the Red Sox and the Rays over and over again like they're gonna look for that like they're you're if you're giving anything to major league hitters they're gonna find it and then the other thing I'll just add was that not only was he feeling like he was tipping his pitches, but the the moving the glove up and down and having sort of like inconsistent points with that was also screwing with his timing. Mm-hmm. And so now he feels like his timing is much better. And because his timing is much better, he feels that all this helps to make him more deceptive. And with Ross Tripling, when you don't throw 99 and you don't um, have an overpowering fastball, your key to your success is essentially being deceptive and 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 being able to throw any pitch at any point and batters don't know what's coming. And that's kind of the key for him. And so if this leads him back to that place, um, it's only a good thing for him. I'll let you jump in, even though I have more to say about roster playing. No, it's it's good. But <laughs> I think on the broad, the broadcast, Buck did a good job of, of they sort of broke down um, some of the changes in terms of him opening him opening up a little bit more when he was kind of coming set or when he was when he was starting from his kind of modified rotation or modified wind up slash from the set position. Um, but he, Buck kind of relayed some pretty humbling remarks that, that Stripling made about like, you know, this is the, this is the biggest change I've ever made between starts. But when your career is crumbling and your year is kind of like on the line, those are the things you got to do, which is, it's interesting. Again, he's a bit more of an introspective guy, I think, uh, uh, than, than some, you know, within the game that we, you know, he's a podcaster, uh, which we all know to be brilliant and attractive people uh, <laughs> as a rule. But, uh, but just, uh, you know, you, you, a lot of players, they get to that point and they have to sort of, they have to be willing to, to try new things. They have to be willing to move on if they want to th- uh, survive and thrive, which, again, he, he's had a couple great outings. And um, uh, maybe maybe a little bit, un- not unfortunate, again, in ha- the, hind- the benefit of hindsight, we can say maybe he came out a little bit early today and, and saving Rafael Dolis and or Jordan Romano for the afternoon, uh, the second game of the, uh, of the doubleheader would have been, would have been nice, but uh, congrats! Shout out, shout out to to Ross Stripling for for pitching more, and a guy you apparently have more to say about. Well, yeah, I, I mean, you kind of <laughs> uh, you kind of alluded to it there, but I just wanted to point out that it it was interesting to me to listen to him talk about how drastic the changes were, and and for him to sort of kind of simultaneously like downplay, but also point out that that to do what he did with within like four days is a huge 
thing. Like, so he basically said that he's made mechanical changes, obviously, when he's been on the IL before. He's made mechanical changes when he's been optioned and sent down to the minors. Those are the times typically that pitchers will make a big adjustments. And actually, when I did my story um, earlier this year with Pete Walker and Matt Bushman, and I talked to them about what do you do when a pitcher needs to make a big change and how do you kind of introduce those changes. And one of the points that Pete Walker made was that you really want to avoid making mechanical changes in season because they're tough to do Mm -hmm. and they you have to keep in mind that these pitchers got to go out every five days and they got to be competitive. And if you, th- if you m- make a mechanical change and it throws them and they're not competitive, like it can just really spiral. And so the point was that, you know, as a pitching coach and as, as a staff, they really try and avoid major changes. But as you say, and as Buck uh, said on the broadcast, like he was kind of at a, a turning point or a, a sort of like a breaking point where he basically was had to do something. And so he said, which was really interesting to me, is I actually asked, like, was this your idea? Because you said, and this is true, that that Stripling does strike me as a, an introspective thinker. He's a guy that likes to look at the numbers, who likes to study the video, who um, is very much a cerebral type of pitcher. And I, so I asked him, like, was it your idea? How did, how did you come up with this change? And he said it was Pete's, Pete Walker's idea. And he said that he thinks that Pete probably had been thinking this maybe up until last year. Like Pete probably mm. had this idea, but he said that Pete probably didn't want to introduce those changes so quickly. Um, to when Ross Stripling joined the organization and he didn't want to like, um, you know, throw so much at him right away. Mm-hmm. And so at this point though, this is when Pete was like, okay, this is what I've been thinking. I think this will help you. And looks like early returns, it, it, it did. But I just found it interesting just because it kind of like reminded me of the story that I wrote earlier about pitching changes. And it kind of really didn't reflect what, I, what were like my findings, so to speak, um, of that, you know, they don't like to make these mechanical changes, but when they have to, they will. And it kind of reminded me that, you know, Pete Walker is a type of pitching coach that does take his time with some guys and but he will he will make them change if he feels the change is necessary and obviously with stripling it was i think it's a great story but it also maybe maybe i'm when you think about what happened in the second game of the doubleheader and for charlie montoyo to come out and be like oh well we know tyler chatwood we need him we need he's gonna he's he's a real big piece for us and again it comes back to that like so are, is is the suggestion there that having someone warm up in the in the dug in the bullpen 350 feet away is going to be so harmful to Tyler Chatwood's mental state that you have to come what comes close to punting the game. Meanwhile, here's Ross Stripling who's like burying his soul in Zoom in Zoom calls and being like, "Well, I got four days to re- overhaul my my uh, my complete uh, my motion I got I got four days to completely overhaul my mechanics might as well give it a shot because either that or or I can't go out there and get my brains beat in today it's such a to me it's like a I'm having a hard time holding those two ideas in my head maybe just because I'm got it out for Charlie Montoyo because <laughs> it's just oh it's frustrating are you, are but, you like but is hmm? it what are you having a hard time with just like the sort of like the you can you can make a drastic change and you can be that, that, um, that one, one player on the team is willing to undergo massive mechanical overhaul in the span of between ones from one start to the next or over the span of three starts is mm-hmm. like, I got to do something cause we're, I'm getting my brain speed out and I can't go out there and get killed again because we need to win these games. And then on the other side of your mouth, you got the manager being like, well, I don't want to piss this guy off by having somebody warm up in the event that he continues to have no clue how to throw to the outside part of the plate to left-handed batters. So right. it's like, you know, this guy's laying it all down. And, 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 and again, I don't put it on Chatwood I'm, because these words were going into his mouth through, or, or not even going into his mouth. These words were said on his behalf by Charlie Montoyo. So I'm just, it's, it's just disappointing, right? It's just disappointing just to have, get kind of like a, I mean, if, if you screwed up, man, just come out and be like, yo, I'm fucked up. Can you believe it in front of all these people? This is terrible, but it's fine. Really, it's fine. Man, that Cleveland team is bad, though. Makes me really upset. And they're it's it, they're bad, and their record is 
not that bad. No, <laughs> I mean, it's of not. course they play in the central, so they can beat up on teams in the central. I don't know how many times they've played the Twins and the Royals yet, but probably quite a few, and certainly more times than the Blue Jays have played the Orioles, which is zero. So um, that's excuse me, that's losers of thirteen in a row. The Baltimore Orioles win. Who the Royals who are ten and twenty? Or sorry, two and twenty since John Means pitched a no hitter. John Means, by the way. If you, I don't know when the Blue Jays play the Orioles, but uh, he's a dirty, filthy cheater. He loves to load up the gunk on his fingers. I watched the YouTube video, now I'm convinced. Now I'm looking for it all the time. <laughs> and you know who doesn't load up? And I think the Zeus and I talked about this was Alec Manoa. My guy's going to his mouth. Blah, blah, blah. You and I haven't talked about Alec Manoa's first start. What did you think of Alec Manoa going out there and shoving against the New York Yankees? I thought it was great. I thought it was a great outing. Um, Bold, <laughs> but I'll hear you out. Here's here's my here. Do you want do you want real writer talk? Do you want the real how I felt about it? You like because he's always got something to say. He's going to write no, story no, for no, you. No, that, that's what. I was, no, I'm just saying narrative wise. This is why it was great for me because it was seven innings. The outing was so good that it was easy to write about because it was just good. But it wasn't so good in the sense that he went out and threw a no hitter in his first outing, which would be so overwhelmingly good that I would be like, how am I, how can I even write about this? I'm not, you know, it would be like, I don't know how to tell this story. It's so remarkable. But it was, it was a good outing. It was fun and easy to write about because he was in a good mood. His family and friends were in a good mood. It had a lot of great narratives to it. The fact that the Yankees were playing in the afternoon and they didn't have very many fans. So I guess all you could hear were the Manoas cheering on him on. The Blue Jays kind of were loving that because it was, you know, they were joking that it was like the first time they've had home field advantage or felt like they've had home field advantage all mm-hmm. year because people were finally cheering for them. Um, it was it was great for a young pitcher of the Blue Jays to just have a really strong outing and look like he rose to the occasion and look like he saw the opportunity before him. And, you know, I'm not saying that the other guys didn't see the opportunity before them and say, I don't want it. Like, obviously they went out there and they wanted to pitch well and it just, things didn't work out for them. You know, Nate Pearson has obviously been struggling. I think Anthony Kay had some hard luck and I think there's still some refining that Anthony Kay needs to do. And so that's obviously why he's been sent to the minors. Um, And so there was just some opportunities that young guys have had and we didn't really have that young guy, um, have that outing yet where it was like okay here's a here's a blue jays pitcher where you can really see kind of the team building around him or him being a really big piece of the future like it wasn't just something that you could see with your eyes uh, understanding that k and nate and all these guys will probably be a part of the blue jays future but it was the first time this year where we really saw a pitcher a young pitcher go out there and really look like he belonged in the major leagues. And it's one outing, and Alec Manoa, I think, matches up well against the Yankees because they're a right-handed heavy lineup, and he's... And also dog shit. (laughs) Well, apparently (laughs) they are bad again now. It's hard to keep up with the Yankees. Um, But yeah, all in all, I thought it was a really fun outing, Um, and it was... It was it's great to see him, you know, having fun up there. I think that is also something that's very, I don't know, charming about him is the fact that he does seem to be the type that loves the big moment. And um, a lot of people say that it's a little bit of a cliche, but he does seem to be somebody who um, does embody that. <laughs> Speaking of embodying that. There's a guy that I play on my men's league baseball team and uh, with, and his name is Tice. Tice is a great guy. He loves my kids. He's like the nicest dude. Uh, he looks exactly like Alec Manoa. He is like Alec Manoa if he was like four inches shorter. Like like Tice is a big guy, but obviously Alec Manoa is like on another level. And Tice is also a Yankees fan, so I sent him a message and I was like, "Oh, it must have been weird to see your like younger brother out there killing your your team." He's like, "Man, three different people sent me that message that I, <laughs> about, about me being out there on the hill." But the best part about Tice was when he joined our team, our men's league team, that Jonah Bierenbaum, former, former uh, guest of the show, and I played on this team. And we had this guy, Tice, come to our team. And he was like, he showed up and he, we were like, everybody's shaking hands and he's kind of saying, hey. And he's like, he's like, oh man, you know, this team's pretty cool. He's like, everybody got beard. Everybody's got tattoos. He's like, if all you guys got, got criminal records, we're all in good shape. Like, <laughs> I was like, yes, we got the right guy on our team. But anyway, shout out to Tice, uh, a good dude who's not listening to this, but that's not the point. 
<clears throat> Alec Manoa and Tice, both good vibes guys. And uh, vibes are important. Ta- mm-hmm. Teoscar Hernandez had a big-ass home run today. Vibe check right there. Good to see Raddy Telez um, uh, run into one and, uh, and, and, and uh, hit a home run uh, for his sake. Uh, again, a guy who's really been struggling, a guy who's getting more than his fair share of playing time, I think, considering the way that he's produced. So uh, good to see him. Also, I realized today that uh, Raddy Telez looks exactly like Tom Segura which is uh, a little bit weird that I didn't notice it before, but now I can't not see it. Tom Segura, who is a, uh, a host or a stand-up comedian, he's got like th- at least four different Netflix specials. And I guess he's got a he's got a podcast. What's, up? What's that, Two Bears? The podcast with uh, Burt Kreischer? Burt Kreischer's okay. Tom Segura's great. But anyway, Roddy Tellez, uh, that's a, it's a huge... It, the, there's, I just feel like getting a good version of Roddy Tellez is as good a... June acquisition as the Blue Jays can hope to make, quite frankly. Oh, there's a sneeze coming. No. I was going <laughs> <laughs> <No. laughs> to sneeze and then it didn't come out. So I was bracing for it. Um, uh, you were saying about Rowdy. Yes. Yes. And I think that I think I made this point before. Um, but there is a bit of urgency for him to get it together because once those guys start coming back, Biggio, Springer, that's it, right? Um, <laughs> the, the, that is it. And those two are not often mentioned in the same breath in terms of like additions by addition. But but certainly the playing time will become more sparse if you get, especially Springer, but even BGO too, because sometimes he can play in the outfield and then you mix up the outfield a little bit. Um, and then it's going to be harder for Rowdy to get into the lineup. And so if he's hitting... Montoya will find a way to put him in the lineup, but if he's not hitting, it's going to be mm-hmm. harder. It's just going to be the matchups. It's going to be when you know Vlad needs a day off, or when Vlad needs to get off his feet and be a DH, and then and then um, Rowdy will get in there. But you know, to your point, uh, I think that also like talking about acquisitions and all that kind of thing. I think that the there will be such a focus on the Blue Jays as there should be getting pitching reinforcements that I'm not sure. Um, I think you tweeted or someone tweeted, it might've been you, um, that third base, something needs to be done about third base at at the trade deadline. I'm not, yeah. And I, I will just say that I'm not convinced that it will happen just because I just wonder how much a priority pitching will have to be. And if they will be able to get everything done, this trade deadline, um, but I mean, that's probably a discussion that we can have at a later um, podcast because we're still well out of the trade deadline. But, um, <clears throat> but that is something that you're right in in the interim in June. Yeah, if they do get Rowdy hitting and then they potentially get Biggio back and he's hitting better, and maybe the neck thing was bothering some of his um, bothering him enough that he was it was impacting his his plate appearances, and then obviously Springer getting back is going to be the real like big sort of like that's the acquisition you're getting when you get Springer back. Yeah, no, it's huge. Obviously, George Springer coming back is huge. Kevin Bijou coming back is nice. Uh, I would love to see again Rowdy Telez be that June acquisition acquisition that makes things difficult for if it's Randall Gritchick or Lourdes Gurriel Jr. or Kevin Biggio and definitely like Santiago Espinal and, mm-hmm. and Jonathan Davis because uh, uh, that big you know left-handed bat just looks so nice in the middle of that lineup. And what I tweeted today was that I think the Blue Jays should have intentionally walked Jose Ramirez so that Vlad could hit him up at first base and be like, yo, you're going to come play? You should ask for a trade. <laughs> You don't want to play with this garbage franchise anymore. Look what's on your shirt, man. It's brutal. Just come. 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 Ask for a trade. Pick up your option. Two option years left. Come on. Because boy, boy, oh boy, Jose Ramirez would look pretty good at third base in Blue Jays blue. Switch hitting in the middle of that lineup. Blue Jays don't have a switch hitter. They don't. There was a little while ago. They had a lot. uh, It felt like. Well, Justin Smoke was one. Justin Smoke was a switch hitter. But uh, yeah, they don't have any. They, don't, they barely have any left-handed hitters, let alone <laughs> yeah. guys who can do both. More spin rate coming up right after these words from our sponsors. 
And now, two pigeons bemoaning the fact you can stream DirecTV satellite-free. Hey, Frank, a little birdie told me you don't need a satellite dish to get DirecTV. What's little birdie? Was it Jimmy the Sparrow? It's a figure of speech. Point is, you can stream DirecTV over the internet now. Oh, sure. Next you're gonna tell me those big birds are made of metal and filled with people, right? <laughs> you mean airplanes? Stream DirecTV without a satellite dish. Visit DirecTV.com. High-speed internet service required. Terms and restrictions apply. It was an eventful weekend, if nothing else. And now what's to come? They, got, they, have, they finally got a day off, which, again, only complicates this weird, ongoing bullpen management sort of uh, uh, shit show. But what is to come this week for your Toronto Blue Jays, Caitlin? Well, maybe let's talk. What's, what's to come for you this week? Um, yeah, so I'm working on basically the month recap where I'll kind of give my thoughts on who was the, who were trending up for the Blue Jays in the month of May and who was trending down for the Blue Jays in the month of May, the stock report, who rose their stock, whose stock dropped. Um, so like, you know, as a little teaser, I think that we can all guess who, was the top performer in May. Although there's actually a few candidates. I shouldn't say it's so easy. I mean, it is easy. It's it's Marcus Simeon. Surprise, everyone. But um, there actually is a few candidates. Like, if you look at the numbers, I don't want to spoil the whole article, but, like, Teoscar Hernandez is another guy that had an excellent month of May. Essentially, since he's ca- came back from the IL with COVID, which was right at the end of April, he had an excellent month. And, and, you know, the guys who didn't perform very well, we've mentioned a few of them already on this podcast, like a guy like Santiago Espinal and Jonathan Davis, I think have been given it's ample opportunity this month, not a ton. They're not everyday players, but certainly they've been in the lineup more than, um, more than they would be if this roster was actually um, firing at full capacity. Um, And I, you know, I don't think that, either of them have necessarily um, capitalized on this opportunity that they've had. And I think you mentioned it off the top, but one of the sort of things is when you have those guys in the lineup, they are defense first guys. And when they're in there, you really want to get their defense. And so when you see a few errors cropping up in their game or bad decisions, that sort of just underlines the troubles that they're having. It, uh, it makes it difficult to, to uh, to justify their ro- roster spot as those spots become more um, scarce, right? Yeah. Like obviously, I, I you know I don't think it's a secret. Santiago Espinal, I believe, is a better defender all the way around rather than Joe Panic. But if Espinal is not hitting and making mental errors in the field, and as well as physical miscues, which again, it's, I hate to to be like, oh, you made an error, you're bad, but like that's what you're there to do. So then if it becomes like we could either DFA Joe Panic or option Sandy Espinal, that becomes a no-brainer altogether. Uh, Blue Jays have two days off this week, actually. Yeah. So they have the oh, Marlins. The Mar- <laughs> oh, you know. The Marlins coming to town, coming to Buffalo. The Toronto Blue Jays are going to start playing their games at Salem Field in Buffalo, effective on June the 1st. Got two against the Marlins, and then I believe the wretched Astros will uh, will come to town. So a decent challenge. Marlins are not uh, great, but I believe what's what's his name? Sandy Alcantara is he pitching? He throws real hard. A lot of Marlins, they have some hard throwing dudes in their mix. But uh, you know, it is uh, Sandy Alcantara. He's not great, but whatever. Got the got the Marlins coming to town. Got the Astros on the weekend, moving to Buffalo. So it'll be interesting to see how that plays. It'll be interesting. You know what I'm looking forward to seeing? Number one, obviously Vlad Jr.'s numbers at home versus on the road are pretty stark. Not stark. He's still a good hitter on the road. Um, still among the best hitters in, in the league on the road. But it'll be interesting to see Bo Bichette in particular. Bo Bichette's kind of struggling. You know, It's Bo Bichette. He's hot and he's cold. Mm-hmm. Uh, but Bo Bichette, especially because of the way that his swing is shaped, he really took advantage of that like short kind of nitro zone out in right center field in Dunedin where he was dumping balls into that little um, uh, parkade thing out there in right center field, which I don't think is necessarily going to be available to them there in Buffalo. Uh, obviously, the, the physical dimensions and the prevailing winds will be different so how will Bo Bichette uh, in particular uh, adapt to not playing in that little uh, band box in Dunedin I think bears monitoring uh, lots of uh, discussion points to come lots of exciting things hopefully Blue Jays fans are able to kind of take this 
uh, disappointing, bitter taste that's been left in our mouths at the end of a doubleheader. And, uh, and move on. Take the day off. June 1st, start fresh. Blue Jays, at least they're not the Yankees. Right? The Yankees have, not, have hit like two home runs in two weeks or something crazy like that. It's ugly. It's ugly. So it's exciting. You know, Blue Jays fans can just uh, look something to look forward to. Buffalo. That's, that's where we are right now. Hey, Buffalo. It's closer to the border. I don't know. Yep. The Blue Jays are very hopeful they'll get fans in Buffalo who actually want to cheer for them. Well, I think I think that they might. I think they will. I think the people of Buffalo are pretty excited, and I'm just going to hazard a guess that there's not a lot of Miami Marlins fans living in Western New York. So I think the Blue Jays could benefit from at least this first series. Fingers crossed. I was making fun of the Yankees, but hopefully Yankees fans, who, of which there are innumerable number in Western New York, hopefully they'll come on the weekend to boo the Astros. That's that. There's always that. When the Astros played at Yankee Stadium, it was uh, it was a, a gong show. It was mm-hmm. a very uh, emotionally charged environment. So hopefully some of those those Yankees fans that didn't get all of that out, they didn't get to vent <laughs> their spleen, so they're going to drive to Buffalo to boo the Astros. I'm going to start tweeting at Yankees fans that I know and be like, you know what you should do? Go to Buffalo. Get a get a Vlad jersey, boo Jose Altuve, senseless. It'll feel good for you, feel good for me. Her name is Caitlin McGrath. My name is Drew Fairservice. Thank you so much for listening. If this is your first time listening to the show, thank you for taking the time. I want you to do one thing, two things for me. Number one, I want you to subscribe to The Athletic if you don't already. Go to theathletic.com slash spin rate. Subscribe to the show. Give you a sweet deal. And they'll let us, that let them know that we sent you, which is always good. And let them know that you're listening. I just held the phone to my ear. Like you're listening through the phone. Like it's a movie phone. Like what are the movies playing? And you call and they tell you. The other thing I want you to do is subscribe to Spin Rate, wherever it is you get your podcasts. If you do it on Apple Podcasts, on Spotify, on Stitcher, on Overcast, anything like that, hit us with a, with a subscribe. Get the show directly into your device as soon as it becomes available. So do those two things. Follow Caitlin on Twitter. You can follow me on Twitter if you want as well. No pressure. But until we speak again, her name is Caitlin. My name is Drew. We'll talk to you on Spin Rate next time. As you've probably heard by now, we've teamed up with BetMGM this season. We'll be using BetMGM lines to make all of our picks, and we'll have special offers for our listeners each week. If you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC, and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic, plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager with BetMGM. Here's how it works. Download the BetMGM app and sign up using bonus code THEATHLETIC. Make your first deposit of at least $10. Place your first bet on any game and claim your voucher for a one-year subscription to The Athletic. See BetMGM.com for terms. U.S. promotional offers not available in D.C., Mississippi, New York, Nevada, Ontario, or Puerto Rico. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Available in the U.S. Call 877-8-HOPE-NY or text HOPE-NY 467-369 in New York. Call 1-800-NEXT-STEP in Arizona. 1-800-327-5050 in Massachusetts. 1-800-BETS-OFF in Iowa. 1-800-270-7117 for confidential help in Michigan. 1-800-981-0023 in Puerto Rico. First bet offer for new customers only in partnership with Kansas Crossing Casino and Hotel. Don't forget, if you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager.